Welcome to Tim Stodds FM, a place to share new ideas, speak freely, and continuously find ways to live our best lives. And now your host, Tim Stoddart. Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Tim Stoddart. This is Tim Stodds FM. Thank you so much for joining me. This is a big day for me, guys. This was the first podcast episode that I recorded in my new home studio. Since Jules and I moved to Nashville, I've been kind of slowly putting together this studio in my office, and uh, it feels so good to finally have this. It's been a dream of mine and a goal of mine for quite some time, and I was really thrilled to have this gentleman as my first guest in my new studio. His name is Matthew West. I will just say that he was by far the nicest person I think I've ever spoken to in my life. I actually said shit once, maybe I even said shit twice in our conversation, and I felt out of place because of how kind and how warm he was, and I don't think he cusses or any uses any kind of foul language. He's a real gentleman, let me tell you. Matthew owns Dexteritybooks.com. He owns a book publishing business, and It was so interesting. I found it so fascinating when he was teaching me about the history of the publishing business and how the internet and kind of more on-demand content has been uh, changing that and how there's this opening for aspiring authors to be able to write books and actually be in a position where they can sell books and make money from it without, you know, having some giant Manhattan book publisher and without having to scrape by on dimes and nickels trying to self-publish a book. His company, again, is called Dexterity Books, dexteritybooks.com. We we went all over the place. This was a really wide-ranging conversation. We just talked about writing and what books mean to him and his passion for the spread of ideas, and it was great. It was phenomenal. I, I was kind of buzzing on a high for like two hours after after he left the studio just because of how much I enjoyed talking to him. I will say that I need to get some little foam pads for the wall in my new studio. Um, I I will admit that this episode is a little bit echoey, but it's certainly not bad enough that it's really going to bother you. And take it from me, I 100% promise that this podcast is is worth the listen. So please help me welcome my new friend, Mr. Matthew West. (laughs) Are you ready? Yeah, sure. Great, Matt. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Before we even start, I have to say to you that you are the first person who has been in my home, in my studio, having this podcast with me. So thank you very much for taking the time to come out here in my home and, and welcome to, to my shop, hey, my operation. Thanks so much for having me. Mm-hmm. It's, <laughs> it's really interesting, the timing of you being here, because Juliana, my fiance, who you met downstairs, mm-hmm. um, I have been a writer Basically, my entire life, it's a theme that comes up on my show a lot, talking about my writing, and I'm sure people listening are kind of sick of hearing about it by now. But even more than like my websites and my businesses and all you know, the, the dreams and aspirations, the one thing in my life that I've, that I've always really, really wanted to do was write a book. And uh, I've gotten pretty far sometimes, and then I go like, oh, like this shit sucks, and I throw it out, and... That scrapbook right over there that you see on the desk, that's full of notes for a book I'm working on. And the timing is very, what's the word, serendipitous, I suppose, to have somebody 
in the publishing business um, that could potentially kind of help me on my journey to start this. So with that, I know that's not really a question. I'm kind of like leaving it a little bit open-ended for you, but I, I think what I would want to know to start and what I'm sure a lot of other people would love to know is like, God, what is that first step? You know, like how do you get over that hurdle that I'm sure like 99% of the world's writers and people that want to write a book get stuck on of just that like no that's a great question but i mean even judging by uh the scrapbook over on the desk the first step is to write to get it down on paper get something down no matter how bad you think it is get it down because a lot of people they they want to write a book and they never take that first step at sitting down in front of that first blank blank document on their screen or a blank piece of paper and mm-hmm. getting things down. So I would say that's always the first main hurdle to overcome is to just, just start, it. just start writing. Oh. And then, and then the second one that follows behind it is if you're, you really want your message to travel as far as it can possibly travel and mm-hmm. reach the people that you want it to reach and make mm-hmm. a difference. Um, Take the time to learn from writers who have really worked at improving their craft. And that means reading well, first of all, you know, something our teachers in grade school would have told us ad nauseum. Mm -hmm. And as well as actually reading books on the art of writing. writing, You know, people that want to learn how to cook, they read books on how to cook well people who want to start a business read books on how to run a business well so that's advice that i routinely give to authors writers prospects and clients is find books on the craft and art of writing and read those as well along the way it's i'm having a real moment with you saying that because i've been an avid reader my entire life And if there's anything that I want to learn how to do, I've always been able to kind of take it upon myself to just find a book Uh and sit down and read it. But I don't know, I guess because the two are so closely correlated, you know, like writing and reading that you would almost think that in order to be a better writer, you just keep writing instead of stepping away from the writing and do some reading. And hearing you say it is like such common sense, like, oh, yeah, duh, why don't I just read a book on how to write better. Yeah. But yeah. I get told this day that's never popped in my head. Well, it wouldn't let you off the hook from your writing assignment on the yeah. regular, you know, that's gotta be homework on top of, you know, of, course. Uh, of getting those words down on paper, but we all need good teachers, right. To mm. lead the way and challenge us to be a better version of ourselves. And for a writer, what are you bringing into your brain? That's challenging you to be a better writer. Do you, do you believe in, I read a book recently called Steal Like an Artist by mm-hmm. Austin Kleon. And uh, basically his concept is there's really no such thing as like original ideas. Like everything that we sure. write or paint or sing or yeah. anything is basically like yeah. rooted from someone else. Do you? Yeah. He, he but, stole that actually from uh, Ecclesiastes in the Bible. There's nothing new under the sun. So yeah. even that was uh, picking up on an idea. Yes, uh, I think... Yes and no. There's uh, the big struggles that we have as human beings, not to go too philosophical on you here, but sure. the big, big st- struggles of what's the world, what's my place in it, what are the forces around that, 
love, beauty, struggle, uh, you know, basically life, those questions don't change. But every single one of us has got a different life experience and, like you said, different stories to tell. And so year after year, people find a way to offer new or fresh perspective on whatever lens or filter of life they're they're reviewing or surveying at the time. I like that because it sounds to me what like what you're saying, at least how I'm interpreting it, is that although like the human experience is is consistent throughout people, there's still like a, a filter of our own perception, yeah. which is always unique. No matter no matter if ten people have the same idea it's still going to come out of every every one of us in a different way. Right. So there's still right. some uniqueness about it. And also sometimes within the contextual backdrop of the time and place and world we're living in. Mm-hmm. You know, you might not tell a story to someone today the same way you would have told it just after World War One because their frames of reference are Absolutely. Different. Absolutely. Who... From the way that you mentioned uh, having teachers, quote unquote, I, I could see when you were saying that there that there were some teachers that you had um, in terms of like uh, influences on you. Like, who, who would they be for you? Well, um, gosh, I mean, several teachers career wise at any one of a number of different places. Are you looking more for teachers in general or teachers about writing or publishing or uh, something in between or both? Or Yeah, so when, when you were talking about it, it made me think of the people that I emulate. And the one that always comes to mind, I don't know if you're familiar with him, but Seth Godin is sure. basically, I, I don't know if I'd go as strong to say my idol in terms of his work, but... Yeah. I mean, pretty close. Like, I, I respect his writing style. I've always tried to mimic how he writes in... Because um, when you write online, you're writing in a different format because people online are a lot, like, less patient. So you almost mm-hmm. have to write in, like, little bite-sized chunks, sort of. Yes. And so I kind of adopted my writing style in terms of, like, short paragraphs and just real direct points and not a whole lot of, like, descriptive words. Mm-hmm. Um, so... So that's an example for me. And when I, when I heard you saying that, it seemed like you had influences. Well, there, you know, in terms of talking about what's really developed my thinking around both the writer's life and journey, right? Mm-hmm. That beautiful struggle and craft. There are two, two books probably that have really stood out to me over time that I recommend over and over again. And um, one of them is... Anne Lamott's Bird by Bird, some instructions on writing and on life. And Lamott, um, you know, she's written both fiction and non, um, has written really one of the great books on um, coming, uh, a coming to faith experience written for people not from that faith background. So mm-hmm. as, you know, being here in Nashville, for instance, faith-based publishing is really big. I spent a, a good portion of my career in that. We are in the buckle of the Bible belt. Sure. You know? And uh, But she's one of those authors that 
actually sat outside more in the literary market and wrote about that. But she also wrote this book about the writer's life. And I mean, there's a famous, um, well, I don't know how famous it is, but a scene that I love that she uh, writes of storming her New York editor's apartment just raving upset you know uh because the markup on her manuscript and she's like you just don't get it it's supposed to do this and this and i was saying this and this and the editor finally stopped her he's like and then write that you know and uh but it just shows how much of that's that's built up in the angst that you feel as you're pouring over this manuscript and so I, i always recommend that as this is kind of like your comfort food for the writer's journey, right? Yeah. And then um, for for the more technical aspects of craft, food, there's that. a book by a guy named Sol Stein, and it's really not that well-known or popular, uh, but Stein was uh, an editor and then publisher for one of the larger independent houses in New York in the 70s and 80s before that era's consolidation of big New York publisher gobbling up smaller or mm-hmm. medium-sized New York publisher. He was James Baldwin's editor, worked on a number of famous authors' works dur- uh, during that time, and he wrote a book called Stein on Writing. Okay. And it's one of the best books if not the best book i've ever read on the mechanics of craft Hmm. a lot of what he covers applies to fiction one of the best chapters on writing dialogue that i've ever read i've always struggled with that i know writing dialogue is hard writing comedy is hard super right um has a fabulous section on how you draw a character in a book um, in terms of painting that picture but leaving enough to the reader's imagination that they fill in the blanks and it was uh, I, rem- I mean it's stuck out so much to me that I was at a book industry trade show in California and I had a cross country flight back to Nashville and I remember having this book on the plane and it's the only book on the craft of writing that I've ever gotten to the end and turned back to page one to start reading it again. Wow. You know, which most of us can't say of many how-to books. At yeah. All, right? So those are always two that stand out in my mind. You mentioned that uh, that internal, awful, what you call it, a beautiful struggle. And I'm sure all art can speak to that in some way. I think there's something that's like, particularly tormenting about trying to figure out how to get whatever is going on inside of you into like words on a page. (laughs) And like, I don't know why, maybe it's just because writing has always been like my craft and I'm sure like, you know, whatever painters or something could explain it a little more. But I think for me, the part that would always, I'm being dramatic using the word torture, but you know, sometimes I stay up at night because I, I guess obsessive is a little bit more about it where you just know that there's something else to be said and you haven't quite formulated your sentences in like the perfect way to where like you hit that last little enter and you can sit back and you go like, ah, like that's it. Because you know it when you do it, you know, like there are those moments that are real few and far between where you just sit down and you pump something out and then eat, and the ending sticks 
And you can just sit back and be like, oh, I got it. And yeah. then and I'm, I'm like always yeah. chasing that feeling, we, you know? We're always looking for like the three-point landing in Olympics gymnastics, yeah, right? Like course. they hit the pad and stand like that. And, uh, and it can be elusive at times. I think that um, a very influential book that I read was called The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Mm-hmm. And uh, he talks about, he calls it the resistance. It's that thing inside your mind where the harder you push at it, the more it pulls kind of like a rubber band. And man, I I think that was one of those books where as soon as I read the last page, I I think I even read, I ran, I was still living in Florida and I ran and got Juliana. I was like, Jules, Jules, let me read this last page to you. And like, I read it out loud and just how we talked about the spiritual experience that, um, conquering your art you know because art a lot of times rules us like Mm -hmm. it it, it takes over us in a way where you where you're trying to scratch that itch that i was just talking about but in that book the war of art he talks about like the discipline of just writing every day and getting through that real messy process because it's never like a pretty process like writing is really ugly and stumbly you know and like it's it's kind of bashing through like a battering ram in a way and just that feeling you get where you've you've done your art for the day and you've won the mm-hmm. war of art for the day. Mm-hmm. It's a real beautiful scene in my mind and I know I'm kind of rambling on about it, but like everybody that has that feeling that we're talking about, I think yeah. should read that book. Yeah, absolutely. What's interesting, what you say in that reminds me of too is one difference between writing at the point that you're working on something you want to be published in book form Mm -hmm. from just something that you write to post online to hit send to hit publish or post or even in the world of self-publishing i mean you can publish you can finish it and send it out exactly as it is if you want to and Mm -hmm. let your art be completely free from tinkering Mm -hmm. or tampering but if you decide to actually publish with a publisher and bring your art into the world that way then distinctly different from a painter who's the only person whose brush touches the canvas sure or a sculptor who puts his chisel down to a finished work with a book you then subject yourself to a whole nother realm of sometimes torturous process <laughs> yeah. in opening your manuscript up to be reviewed by an sometimes multiple editors and a proofreader and a fact checker and a publisher and a host of other voices that then are providing more um, rounds of critique or revision or food for thought about how to... Um, refine that art even more so we're transitioning a bit more into the business side of writing and and i guess it's it's kind of a perfect segue for that because you know obviously that's why we're here and i want to learn a lot more about your story but listening to you talk about that it it still kind of makes you like for instance i have to send a company-wide email um at at the the business that I work at and there's 600 employees and every Monday I have to send a company-wide newsletter and like before I hit send I go like okay I need somebody to read this for me just to make sure I didn't write anything stupid and that process alone 
It's like, oh man, what's he thinking? Like, did I screw something up? Did I say something stupid? I can't imagine what it would feel like to have an entire slew of people who aren't just reviewing it, but they're reviewing it in a very systematic process where like you're intentionally breaking it down at certain parts. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Have you ever gone through that process yourself? As far as, as an author letting someone else review my work that yeah. way? No, no, so far I haven't uh, been uh, brave enough to be on the receiving end, only on the delivering end of that But it seems like you're, very, like you're very passionate about the publishing industry. I, I am extremely passionate about the publishing industry. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the reasons that um, I pursued this line of work is because... I believe in the power of ideas to equip, inform, entertain, empower, and inspire people. And um, the the written word on the printed page in book form, if you think, you know, many people refer to books as a technology of sorts. It is. It's real a technology that in some ways hasn't been bested since Gutenberg. You know, that content delivery mechanism for ideas uh, is an amazingly powerful thing that changes nations and societies and cultures and individuals one person at a time. And I think that is an incredible thing. Yeah, when when you say it out loud and you think of the context of what the written word, especially post the printing press, um, the influence and the change that it's had on every single society, almost like independently of each other, you know? So it's not like one society kind of had like an overwhelming impact on, on anything else. Like they all um, did it on their own. I, I think you're right that in a way, um, this might be an, an arrogant thing to say because I don't necessarily have like enough facts to back it up, but I think you could argue that books have been more influential than the internet. I, I can't think of, of how you, you could argue against it. You know, I mean, I'm, uh, there's nothing to say that that isn't going to shift over time. I mean, certainly the internet is a world-changing sure. technology, and it's changing even the book industry and uh, challenging the way that books are consumed or discovered or found or engaged with. And new technology is going to continue to do that. But certainly if you look at the past 500 years, combined with a lot of other historical events, um, you know, books have had massive influence over the transformation, you know, and advancement Mm -hmm. of our societies. I'm reading um, Walter Isaacson's biography on Leonardo da Vinci right now. You know, when he talks about kind of this perfect ideal setting for da Vinci and the Renaissance to flourish and lead to all these breakthroughs and um, like post the plague and all that. Well, it was post the plague. There was actually a period of relative peace for 40 or 50 years. So all the money wasn't going into wars at the Mm. same time you had the structure even of, you know, for instance, the Medici family, they were governing, but governing outside of this formal political or military government system. 
and uh, as you know, they were wealthy bankers who ended up being the bankers of Europe at the time, and mm-hmm. so they were they were investing all of this money in arts. So you had this combination of this governmental system and their positioning and peace and the printing press uh, coming to light and providing new material and content and ways for it to spread. And then even on top of that, um, he mentions, uh, if I'm remembering this properly, you also had like um, fall of Constantinople. And so you had also this big influx of scholars bringing their own manuscripts um, west and that provided this environment, you know, for that to flourish. But certainly the book was a key core component of that advancement of That's society so cool. and ideas. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah, I don't know my history that well, but with... Um, and I may have well have gotten some of that wrong, so don't go... <laughs> no, well, I, th- that part I've always... That period of time has always been very fascinating to me, especially because a lot of... I mean, Western society is kind of selfish and um self-absorbed you know but like a lot almost all of the scholarly work at that time especially mathematics was over like eastern um societies you know so like once constantinople fell then uh, i think it was what the ottoman at that point the ottoman empire Mm -hmm. um pushed all of that over i don't know if that's completely true in terms of the timing it might have been the byzantine Empire. Anyway, we'll have, have to get a historian on the podcast yeah. for that one. See, that is a problem with the internet, though, yeah. is you end up saying some shit, and then like <laughs> yeah. a week yeah. later, you get all these angry mobsters. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Uh, um. Okay, so I want to know a little bit more about the actual process because you talked about the change in how, how technology is changing the publishing industry and. Right away, what came to me is 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 probably I don't know if you'd say the invention, but the influx of ebooks. You know, because now you anybody can write a twenty thousand page ebook. You don't even necessarily have to self publish it. You just put it like in in a PDF and right. and you put it out there. Does that frighten you at all in terms of like the business of publishing? How everything is spread out so thin now? Yeah, that's a. Great question. Uh, no, it sometimes. actually doesn't frighten me at all. I, th- I think it's fantastic. And, um, and the reason I think it's fantastic is because even if people want to digest things in book form, but as a PDF, even if they want to post it for free online, you're still exposing new ideas to the world, right? So... Um, What's interesting to me as somebody who's followed the industry, and I would say ebooks are definitely one change in technology, whether it's formally publishing something via Kindle, Kindle. or the iBook store, gotcha. or posting a PDF to your website. Um, that's one major shift technolo- technologically. But in the publishing industry, the other major one has been the rise of print on demand publishing um, which has really made it much more scalable and affordable for someone to get a printed book even in really small quantities sure uh, and make that book available because you don't have to put all that money up up front not knowing if you're going to sell them all that's that's right so in general i'm a believer in spread more ideas right Um, but what what the economy of 
publishing has shown us is just because it's available don't doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be discovered or consumed yes or absolutely proliferate right absolutely and so um you know i kind of joke with uh friends in the industry that there's never been an easier time to publish you know better time to publish it's never been easier to publish and it's never been more difficult to get to publish um the statistics were last year that of the 86,000 actual publishers in the country, um, last year they produced about 300,000 new titles in for one the marketplace. year. On top of that, self published titles, titles by self published authors through other. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. What you just said, 300,000 published works in one year isn't even including self-published no, books? No, no, no. 300,000 there from actual publishers, another 700,000 self-published. So last year, so a million we books. introduced a million new books to wow. the market. I admire how you do not suffer from scarcity complex. I think that that is so difficult for people to do. And I have seen in my own short experience as a business owner, entrepreneur, whatever, anytime somebody starts worrying about there's not going to be enough for me is exactly the time when things start to kind of get sucked away from them. There's some kind of weird universal energy where putting it out there and helping other people seems to, <laughs> I'm sorry, if you guys can hear that, my dog is right outside the door <laughs> where putting it out there and helping spread as much new information and helping as many people as possible always seems to reciprocate. And yeah, I, that's really I think that takes a lot philosophy. of, yeah. I think it takes a lot of courage to live that way because it's so much easier to, to, it reminds me of this book called The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene yeah. where one of the laws was like never fortify yourself in a castle because there's, there's just no way to stop uh-huh. stuff from coming to get you no matter how hard you try. And uh, it reminds me of, of that where if you try to like bunker down and say like this is, our, this is our way of doing things and we need to hold on to this whether it's like romantic or tradition or whatever, it's just not going to work because you can't stop progress it's going to come in the way that yeah. it's going to come you know it, it is it is and honestly if you look at most industries over the last hundred years and american business in general and i'm i'm really simplifying and generalizing here but you think about most businesses that have gone through periods of consolidation the cottage industry gets eaten up there's scarcity, there's a commoditization yes. uh, impact that takes place. And then inevitably, the consolidators, the people that pull all the marbles into themselves, reach this point where for some reason the marbles are no longer as valuable to them anymore or they mm. figure out the only way that they can continue to profit further is to start selling the marbles off again. Yeah. Either that or... A new technology comes along that makes the marbles obsolete. An entirely new cottage industry. Yeah. So, what I'm really interested in publishing is that publishing is going through these series of consolidations, and retail 
with regard to books is going through these series of consolidations. And so what I'm curious about is what's the next cottage industry that springs up? What do you think it's going to be? What's your hunch? I hope part of it's my company, right? And what we're trying to accomplish in the marketplace. But to give even an example from the retail side. Yeah, I want to know like what's what's the cutting edge type thing that's going on. It's not even, you know, it's not even necessarily cutting edge, but you've seen, you saw the rise of the big box store, Barnes and Noble and Borders, and it was these big footprint stores, heavy real estate throughout the 90s and early 2000s. And then Amazon started coming along and uh, eating everybody's lunch. And now Borders is gone, right? I mean, they... They've been gone, gosh, almost a decade now. Almost 10 years, yeah. But those chains ate up and really winnowed away the ABA independent store, like Parnassus in Nashville, you know, in Green Hills. Okay. Which is a very famous uh, independent, nationally known. Okay. Um, But now Barnes & Noble is under pressure, and they've closed stores and are retrenching. And the little independent mom-and-pop bookshop, they're growing. Their numbers are up. Their membership and their leading trade organization is up in double digits. And their sales were up last year. Printed hardcover book sales were up by single digits last year. And so they're different from what they once were, right? They recognize that they need to be locally focused and community-oriented and to... Um, be really event-minded, bringing a lot of authors in, having readings, having events. But in the process, what they've done is they've reclaimed their spot in the community as a place where ideas are exchanged. So it still comes back to ideas being exchanged. Yeah. It's very very similar to like maybe the food or fitness. There's something going on in the country right now where I think people are – I mean, look, as much as Amazon is going to continue to grow and everybody can say what they want, but we all buy stuff from Amazon. There's still a, a, I think people are worried about losing local communities. And I think that that sense of community is helping small business owners such as, you know, local, um, local commerce or Farmers markets, like the East Nashville Farmers Market, is probably a great example, and I'm sure that that is is crossing over into publishing as well. I think that's interesting because, in even a larger scale, for my neck of the woods for online marketing, even the way Google has moved over the last ten years, like Google as a whole has gone way less about big national almost worldwide websites, you know, like the Wikipedias of the world or like the WebMDs of the world. And now it's so much more about just small businesses in, in your local area. Right. I think that's, I'm, I'm making some like assumptions there, but I have a feeling that has to do with just overall shifts in the way people are kind of living their lives. Sure, sure. Now, um, on the other hand, I mean, there are another new technology that's, it's not really new, but um, that's changing the way people are consuming uh, content and uh, engaging with books is audiobooks. Audiobooks are actually the fastest category uh, in 
uh, book selling right They're now. They're killing and it. Of course, that's led by Audible, which is owned by Amazon. No but there way. Are, yes, but Get there are other. There are. Oh yes, yes. A dominant market share there. <laughs> oh jeez. Um, but um, I've actually been encouraged that Apple's announced that they are kind of retooling the way audiobooks are going to be Spotify listed. Too. Um, oh, it's Spotify as well. Definitely. And so, you know, that's fascinating for me, and it makes me even think about just like my wife's a preschool teacher, and so she has continuing certification classes and comes in talking about, well, you know, we were brought up to think there were only like three types of learners, right? Like you're the person that learns by hearing it or learns by reading it or learns by doing it. And she's like, well, I'm taking these classes now where there are people, there's all these other layers and combinations of 12 different learning styles. And what I see is with audiobooks, it's just another way to connect those ideas with people that might learn a different way. Sure. Right? And um, so I think it, that's interesting, even um, as we're sitting here and you're able to set up a really professional quality podcasting studio in a room in your home, yeah. it's something you couldn't have done really 50 years ago, right? You had to go to a recording studio. Absolutely. And you've seen the changes in the music business. Well, the same is true even of audiobooks. Now, you're still going to learn uh this is what a an amateur home produced audiobook from somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing on the production side they're different sounds like and looks like and Definitely. then you're gonna have ah uh, here's what professional quality uh looks like but there's still way more access to the tools to produce that content and publish it in some way yeah yeah, I, I was gonna say I agree, but there's there's nothing to even like agree about. That's that's just it's just the way things are going. And almost side note on that, in terms of podcasting, and I'm sure this is probably true with audiobooks, especially once you almost get into like the self published audiobooks quote. Um, sometimes I feel like the quality of it, mm-hmm. the production quality, I mean, mm-hmm. isn't actually as important to people as like big studios want it to be. Really? Yeah, I started this podcast. This this podcast just recording it on my phone. Uh-huh. All, all jokes aside, and there's plenty of times like I usually still do the intros when I when I have this and I have uh, the audio kind of ripped down and I start editing it um, right before I publish it. I usually go like shit. I forgot to pub- I forgot to record the intro, and so I just do it on my phone. It's amazing. It's just fine. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. That is. That's cool. Okay, so. Uh, let's transition one more time. You know a lot about publishing and you had mentioned earlier, like, well, hopefully some of the new waves are how my business is doing it. And we've had a great conversation so far and thank you for not being so selfish um, with hogging up the air times. But I I really, really want to hear how like you and, and your business plan on doing things a little bit differently. Sure. I'm glad to. So, you know, my company, Dexterity, Yes. Um, we launched in January of last year. And the idea for my company actually came from me being on staff at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center. Cool. Um, I had been in publishing for 20 years, um, had been really fortunate to do a variety of 
things over my career. Um, a lot of time with national accounts and business development and sales and account management, working with Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and the big giants of the industry. And, um, but also got to spend time working with the library market and mom and pop stores and acquiring product and figuring out how to bring books to market. And I got this really well-rounded suite of experience during my time with other publishers. And by virtue of working with Amazon and BNN, helped launch an ebook publishing platform, um, started, um, led an, a systems implementation for publishing software that sends your product information out so your books can be more highly discoverable. Yep. And so I got to touch on a lot of new business initiatives that kind of hinted at where the publishing industry is going in terms of okay. how people engage with books, both at the, at the industry level and at the consumer level. And so okay. I left, left my last publishing role, did some independent consulting, and this, this role came open to run a, an accelerator program, which is like a boot camp for startups, sure. that was like run by the Entrepreneur Center. Yeah, like an incubator, run by the Entrepreneur Center, but sponsored by Ingram Content Group, which Ingram uh, is based here in Nashville, and they're the largest book distributor in the world and uh, multi-billion dollar enterprise. Oh, shit. Uh, I mean, distribution and just, I mean, I, they're I'm out not there. even sure how many countries. They've got facilities on five continents. Wow. Humongous, right? And, um, and they really wanted to use the EC's know-how at running these incubators to innovate, to, to kind of look for new ideas that were innovating in the publishing, printing, and creative space. And I had the good fortune to be the publishing industry lead that built out the curriculum for these seven startups that came from all over the world and teach them about publishing. Wow. But the cool thing was, while I'm teaching publishing to some of these founders who came from tech backgrounds and not book back backgrounds, I'm learning the world of the startup. And I was really blown away by the EC community, by the spirit of collaboration and positivity and energy. Uh, people were just aspirational. They're thinking about how to do things differently. They're not married to the status quo. I saw entrepreneurs from completely different business sectors sharing ideas openly and trying to figure out how they could partner with one another. And it was just like I'd found my people in my place. Like it's so the way I see business has the potential to be right to be community oriented to be uh collaborative and positive which links back to this idea uh of my philosophy about publishing which is yeah. there's enough for everybody yeah let the ideas spread right and the ideas will find their readers and so we spent this nine months talking about how there's all this change and disruption in the industry 
but how disruption is really opportunity if you're just willing to consider doing things differently. Of course it is. From the way they've been done. And we also spent time talking about this kind of artificial line that's been drawn in the sand from the traditional publishing industry Mm -hmm. and that business model, which, you know, largely is dependent on these larger publishers, um, writing checks in advance before they ever get a manuscript, which are an advance against future royalty payments and then and that are non-refundable, um, giving agents a percentage of the proceeds from those checks, assuming all this financial burden and risk, gambling that two years from now, the market is still going to want this idea. Well, what's happened in the industry, similar to the music industry, is that these larger publishers are gobbling up all the small and medium-sized publishers, the consolidation we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So yesterday's author at a mid-sized publisher that was getting a pretty nice advance check, and they were getting a real marketing plan and real marketing dollars spent, and an editor who was the perfect fit and passionate about their idea and understood exactly how to bring it to the world, well, once that company gets bought now, they might be way further down on the list and Mm -hmm. the advance checks have shrunk and the editor who knew them inside and out is no longer even there and it gets really really easy for that author if you're not the best-selling star to get if you're not james patterson if you're not james patterson or king or patricia cornwell or insert famous best-selling author here you know it's easy to get lost in the shuffle. At the far other end of the spectrum is the self-publishing market where there's tons of volume. It's really that there's almost no cost barrier to entry, right? I mean, a couple of hundred bucks, right? And you can publish a book if that, right? But the whole system is designed to be self-serve, right? Upload the file. Well, the system will tell you if it validates Good luck. Mm-hmm. Best wishes to you. But if you want to talk to a human being or if you want expertise about how to find your readers or how to submit your manuscript to that next layer of torture, or if you own a content and branding, can you already reach your readers directly? Then sometimes it doesn't even make sense to go through that traditional process. I agree. So. What I see see um, is an emerging need for companies that can sit in the middle and instead of propping up this artificial line between the two worlds, bridge the gap. And that's what Dexterity aims to be. So we offer a full menu of publishing services that either publishers can get a la carte and use this as an outsourcing service or indie authors can use a la carte and say i'd like an editor for this project for this timeline in this budget range or i'm really in need of a graphic designer that understands my brand um or we can offer those men those menu options as an end-to-end solution with us as the publisher 
but not following that traditional model of advance check up front, no um, wait two years to publish, but building client partnerships where everyone is invested on the front end and um, we're working end. together with a tremendous amount of transparency. So we're making decisions about your business and brand all along the way that makes sense for you as a client. And so, for instance, our very first book that we published um, was by a guy named Tim Shaw, who was a linebacker for the Tennessee Titans, who went public with his ALS diagnosis last year. Oh, wow. And Tim had a story that he wanted to tell to inspire other people to know what they were meant to do and to pursue that passion no matter what. Uh, but he didn't have two yeah, where would you start? years to wait, yeah. right? And so uh, we were able to take Tim's book and we went from rough manuscript to finished books printed offset in Nissan Stadium in 75 days. And we launched the book on New Year's Day at the Titans versus Texans game with a signing on the South Lawn. They dedicated the opening ceremony to Tim. Uh, the book went up on the Jumbotron uh, TV screens, I think. Uh, and the announcer said, if you buy one book this year, it ought to be Blitz Your Life. And I think we might actually have bragging rights. You'll have to check facts on this to be the first publisher to launch their book and their company at an NFL game. And, um, but, I'm pretty sure you are. But that book went on to get national media. It was published with every bit of the same quality standards of any book coming out of New York. It was carried by Barnes & Noble. It was available on Amazon. We built a custom sales plan for the author to be able to sell copies himself and had Shopify integration with our warehouse. And as of this spring won awards from the Primary Trade Association for Independent Book Publishers, including Best First Book by New House. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you very much. How's that so, feel? It's, it is really uh, humbling and surreal at the yeah. same time because in the middle of all that, that great story that is um, that I think represents what um, a new... Um, kind of publisher is able to do and one added note on that also inspired by the community at the EC instead of hiring this heavy infrastructure of employees like traditional publishers I've built a community that's basically a publishing collective of like-minded independent business owners and publishing service professionals that want to maintain their independence as, in effect, solopreneurs or small sure. business owners, but team up and collaborate on projects um, that allows us to find just the right talent for each project and client. Um, in between that, though, is the roller coaster ride that is building a small business that is every entrepreneur's journey and what what i tell people is it's mountaintop to death valley at a moment's notice right every little victory feels like a mountaintop experience and every little obstacle feels like a kick in the gut and you can go from one extreme to the other in a matter of 
ours, right? Yeah. And so, um, I'm we're our team is tremendously honored to have that accomplishment for our first book out of the gate. But at the same time, building something new and different, uh, it, you know, it's roll up your sleeves work every single day, and we don't take it for granted. You got me kind of speechless, honestly. Um, beautiful story. I think it's a, I think it's a testament to a few things. I think, like I said before, it's a testament to your passion for the actual industry, and and even more than that, the spreading of ideas. That means a lot to you. I can see that, and more than that, I think it's a testament to taking advantage of the changing tides just like you had mentioned, because yeah, I mean, unless you're the, you know, quote, one percenters of authors, nobody's going to write you like a $300,000 advancement check. And then, I mean, publishers are, they're basically like venture capitalist firms. I mean, that's probably the the closest comparison. We've said legalized gambling, but you know, yeah, I mean, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, but then on the other end, it's like, okay, you had this book, like you said, the other end of the spectrum, we can put it together for you. So congratulations, here's your book. But there's no marketing involved with that. There's probably like low-end graphic design. So for the amount of people out there who love to write, like myself, and who dream to have a book, aren't necessarily aspiring to sell like 80 million copies, you know? Right. I think there's a huge need for what you're doing and i i like it when there's a struggle involved because i think it makes like the victories that much sweeter you know i've, I've seen yeah it means something um to have to really work for that and to experience like the highs and lows and i experience them myself sometimes multiple times a day but uh man this is this is why I love doing this podcast, honestly. Like I told you before we got on, like everybody yeah. has something cool to say. That is so cool oh, to hear you. you say that and to hear that story and to see like the fire build up inside of you and knowing that you feel like you're just getting started. Um, that's great. It's <laughs> a great very story. Much. I, I appreciate it. You sure. Know, we've, uh, hopefully we've got, gosh, we've already got so many other stories to, you know, to, um, to share. And I guess, you know, one of the things that, that I've just been, um, really struck by is that every, every author that we work with, every client that we work with, there's a reader out there, right? It doesn't have to be 80 million. And, for, for their book to make a difference in somebody's life. Yeah. You know, I mean, Tim's book, we got, I mean, letters from people saying it was impacting, it was one of the best books on leadership they'd read, that it was changing the way they were leading their companies. He interviews in his book stories of other CEOs and entrepreneurs. Um, Mike Brody Waite from the, the CEO of the EC is interviewed in the book, his, shares his story. Um, musicians, pro athletes, some of whom have overcome incredible adversity to achieve so cool. a form of success. And so when you get that feedback, that rare moment in the middle of the struggle, yeah. in the middle of, 
Oh man, this didn't come together. Oh, this file's not the right format. When every once in a while you get a story from somebody that says, this book changed my life. We published a book in January, um, Leading Expert on Food Addiction Recovery. So uh, this woman's out of uh, Philadelphia area, uh, Dr. Rona. She spent 30 plus years in addiction recovery, running 12-step programs, licensed counselor, and um, recovering food addict herself. And, And had published a book with another publisher about how the chemicals in our food are as addictive as other substances. Why don't we treat treatment the same way? Right, and so that was kind of the clinical book, and then this book we did was she wanted kind of a little intimate um, entry point for people that know there's not something quite right with my relationship with food, and I need God's help to figure it out. Right, so she's a person of faith herself, and you know one of the core tenets of a lot of the twelve step programs is. You got to get in touch with something bigger than yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And so this 90-day devotional, uh, we released it in January, and she's getting letters from people saying, this book literally saved my life. Yeah. You know, we got a letter from a woman who was like a second-year resident at this treatment center working with a patient that uh, had just had weight loss surgery and had to completely re-engineer the way he thought about food and was writing us to tell us what an impact this was helping, having and helping this person so cool. re-engineer, you know, what's a really difficult part of their life to surmount. So you just look at that and you go, man, how could you not be excited? Absolutely. It, how could you not? How could you not? Yeah, <laughs> that's like what living is all and about. If you sell three thousand copies or fifty thousand copies, you're making a difference. You're making a difference. One hundred percent. There's, like you said before, there's, there's people out there that got exactly what they needed to get from the work that you guys are doing, and I, I think that's beautiful. Um, man. Thank you so much for coming here once yeah, again. I, I can keep talking to you. I feel like I have yeah. to kind of cut this off because no, I'm going to go eat my dinner. But um, b- one last time before uh, before we sign off, please take this next like two minutes. Shameless plug. What's your website? Where can they find you? How can they contact you? Sure. Absolutely. Our uh, website is DexterityBooks.com and feel free to reach out to us uh, there. We're on Facebook as well. Yep. And um, like I said, we're actively growing our client roster and helping people get their ideas where they want and offering some services that some independent authors might not have access to as well as serving trade publishing clients and all with kind of a knowledge born of this community of now almost 30 different publishing professionals it's amazing um, both here in nashville and elsewhere it's amazing that care about spreading ideas and making people's lives better that's amazing i will link all of that stuff up in the show notes of, of the post right. of this podcast yeah. for you Matt, thank you so hey, much again so one much more time i really appreciate it, it. guys thank you so much for listening um if you could do me a favor leave a rating and a comment on the itunes is the best thing you can do to support the show i appreciate you guys matt thank you one last time talk to you next week Hey guys, it's me. It's Tim. One last time before we wrap up, just wanted to say thank you for tuning into the podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes, 
please leave me an honest rating. Please follow me on Spotify. It's the best thing you can do to support the show. If you want to find out more, go to timstods.com. Feel free to fill out the contact form to reach out to me personally. I always respond. I appreciate you guys so much. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.